0: Welcome to those of you who are, uh, well, actually, welcome to everybody. Glad to gather with you this morning on Sunday. Sunday, I don't know if you are aware, is the day that the early church, from the very genesis of the birth of the church through the life, death, and sending of the Spirit of Jesus and the Father, began by gathering on Sunday morning because it was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And they wanted to regularly be reminded in the beginning of their week, as they get ready to enter into the work, and enter into the fray of everyday life relationships and struggles that we all are very familiar with. Um, They wanted to be reminded and celebrate that Jesus is alive, that he is on the throne, that he is at work, that he's given us this new identity based not on what people think about us, not on the things we have, not on the things we feel like we got to always do more or try to get after to finally feel like we can rest. But that because of Christ and his death on the cross for us and his resurrection from the grave, we have it already. We've arrived in God because we have God. The spirit has been poured out. And so we're here to be reminded again through song and teaching and story sharing and prayer that Jesus is indeed real. He's alive. We're not talking about a fake fairy tale. We're not here talking conceptually merely about God. But God wants us to experience him because he's real. And he wants to touch our souls, and he wants us to say, look, you can see me, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm at work, Uh, because he sent out the Spirit. So we're here to celebrate him and be reminded of that. Um, If you are new here, I want to welcome you and say, um, we believe here, uh, uh, church isn't merely an add-on to your life. Church isn't merely something we go to, church is something we are because of Christ. Christ. We, in, in the Bible, church is talked about predominantly as the family or as the body. It's, it's, it's an identity statement. It's who we are all the time, 24-7, because of the very presence of God. So if you are new here, I want to welcome you to a gathering of God's people, and, um, and I'm here to tell you that God wants to see you join in on what he's up to, not just in this place, but in the city, in the places he has you as his church. Through Jesus Christ by faith in him. That is what we believe and um, that is what we want to go after. We are people who go deep with God and therefore we get to go deep with one another so that others might know him to the praise of his glory. So we welcome you this morning. Uh, this morning I'm excited. We've been going through the Beloved series but this particular morning um, there's an extra excitement if that's possible with me because I'm always excited about a lot of things but Uh, I'm excited because uh, one of my uh, friends is going to come up, Monica Sheffey, is going to come up and she's going to share a a deep part of her story where God has worked in in many impactful ways. And uh, it it was kind of one of those things that wasn't really planned. It was one of those things that the Spirit said, hey, this is what you're going to do. We're going to change up some things here in this beloved series uh, because he's God and he gets to do that. And I hope we're good with him doing that uh, because uh, I hope we're here not just to see some people do some stuff on stage, but we're here to meet with God. And so that means he gets to change things up when he wants to. And uh, what she, we're all in a missional community together, and she shared a story on Wednesday night. And it just kind of blew the, blew the hinges off our doors, so to speak, and really just had a really cool God moment um, as we responded to the story. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, we're going to do some of that this morning with all of us together here. So she'll be invited up here shortly. Um, but before I invite her up I, I want to uh, briefly set up our, and actually let me say this too one of the things God's kind of changing up is he's kind of knocking on our door and saying Jesus by the way, he knocks on the doors of our heart and he says he wants to dine with us Revelation talks about and that's to the church and, and one of the things I feel like he's just knocked on our door this week is saying hey people need to understand this is Jesus speaking right, hey that I came to bring them to my Father and to know my Father's love and that is so core to this understanding of being a beloved. And I feel like through these stories, through Monica's sharing, and I think we're actually going to have probably another one next week, I think that's God's way of wanting to go deep with that with us. So I'm excited about that. I'm going to set, set up, uh, do a little quick setup, and then I'm going to have her come up. But first I want to remind us we're in this beloved series, and this word beloved is this key identity statement that God the Father spoke over his son, Jesus in the Gospels. Matthew 3.17 Jesus is getting ready to do what he does for the next three years in ministry. But before he really does anything and gets to work, this wonderful statement is said over him by his own father. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That's identity statement. And as we've been talking about, Jesus, he lived all of his life basing his life on that identity. Being beloved, being deeply loved, dearly loved. By the Father, and that's why Jesus continually he withdraws from people and the demands of life that are on him to go be alone with his Father and pray and listen to his Father. And Jesus' solitude is actually how he deepens his relationship, his love relationship with his Dad, with, with God. And that's why he only did what the Father showed him and told him to do. He says that. We've been talking about that through this series. But one of the things I want to I highlight right now is that the father actually showed him and told him stuff during his time of prayer. He didn't go up and go pray to God, read some scripture passages and then go about his day not having some moments, some intimacy with his father. The father showed him and told him stuff. In his mind's eye, there was things that God was showing and telling him. And the Bible says that in Matthew 28 that if we are followers of Jesus through faith in him. We too are baptized in the same relationship with God the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. We have that same relationship. That same love God loved his own son with, he's to love us with. God the Father sends the Son because God the Father wants to father us. He wants us to see that he's the source of our love. Just like we see in the Gospels with Jesus and his father. In the same kind of way. That's why I love, Brittany, your story about your do- like what your daughter said. He is our true daddy. Like He's our dad. He's our parent. He is our father. There's supposed to be intimacy there. The father sends his son to get that. He wants to do that with us. He wants to parent us in that. He wants to show us that, yeah, you're worth and value. Our, wor- our world tells us it's by your looks. It's by the job you have. It's by the things you got to get done. you got to be successful. you got to get the straight A's. you got to be a really good athlete. you got to be a great mom, the best mom. Um, you got to make the most money. I don't know. I can go down a list, right? And no, no, no. That, that's not where we get our worth and value from. It's you being loved by the Father. That's where we get it from. The Father sent a son to parent us in that. And then the Son, he we see is our savior and healer. And he does that by bringing us to his dad. See, a lot of times in the church, we believe Jesus died on the cross, and all we talk about the reason for him dying on the cross is so that we can get out of hell. Now, the good news is, is yeah, we don't get to suffer eternal judgment because Jesus did die on the cross, but for the father, the main point is so that Jesus would introduce us to this love relationship with his dad. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And so many of us, we go through our Christian lives so worried about God's going to throw this thunderbolt down on us, and I hope that I prayed that prayer and it actually worked because I don't want to go to hell one day. And we're missing it. The son went to the cross to bring us into a love relationship with the father who no longer judges us according to our sin. He frees us from guilt and shame so that we can be embraced, lavished eternally, be seen in our mess, and be known and loved and accepted because of the blood of Jesus. Do you know that, the G- that Jesus died on the cross to bring you to the Father and to know his love? And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that the Father and Son sent is indwelt in us to make it go from concept to reality. To where you get up and you're feeling down and sad and you realize you can actually bring that to a father who has an ear bent towards you and cares and loves. And the spirit reminds you you have a healer, a redeemer named Jesus Christ who can comfort you in your pain and hurt and bring not just healing but rescuing out of it. So we have this great relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit that Jesus brings us into. Acts 2, I'm going to go through this real quick, and then I'm going to invite Monica up. Acts 2, starting with verse 16. The Spirit here has been poured out in our day so that we are meant to have this deep relationship with God. And and I I don't know, the Spirit just put this little section on my heart just to share with you guys. And I hope we believe this. It's for us today says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. In Jesus, going deep with God, that's our new norm. He's going to give us pictures. He's going to give us visions. He's going to give us dreams. And we miss it, right? So, many, so often the Pharisees missed it in Jesus' day. And Jesus was like, the kingdom of God's in your midst. And he's like, it's right in front of your face and you don't see it, right? Because we're always looking for something else. And it's, but he's poured out, of, do we believe this? Dreams, visions? He, he does stuff. He wants to show us stuff. He wants to bring to life his word, right? His word is the specific revelation God's given to us. And he speaks to us in ways to bring it to life in our hearts, in our minds. But then we see, too, this isn't some weird religion that goes off into the woods and separates ourselves from the world 24-7. Just to be clear, because in the same chapter that I read this in Acts 2, it also says the Spirit is poured out and it forms these deep relationships. It says this, starting with verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, that's deep relationship, to the breaking of bread, their eating, their communing together and prayers together. There were an awe, came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They're sharing, they're giving. They sold their possessions and belongings and uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, that's every day, daily, regularly... They're gathering, they're at the temple together, and they're breaking bread, and they're eating in homes, and they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. They're not doing it because it's what Christians are supposed to do. They're actually excited about being around each other, eating together, loving each other, and and enjoying each other, all to the praise, it says, of God, having favor with all people. So this isn't just this weird group of people separated from the world, it's in the world. And non-believers are like, what is going on? And the Lord added to their number day by day, so they weren't just rejected, but people were attracted to those who were being saved. God's producing fruits from his spirit in our everyday life. This stuff of getting away with God, and these and visions, and these dreams, and these things he's trying to give us, it actually produces things like patience, and kindness, and forgiveness, even for our enemies and tenderness and gentleness and the world's like what is up with you guys i've never seen that kind of love before not in my upbringing not in my life and you guys seem to have it and you're different what is that why are you so excited to be with each other why are you so excited to serve each other why are you so excited to love each other why are you so stinking forgiving what is it it's because of the love of god while i was god's enemy Yet Christ died for me. And the Father pursued me. That's the church. Do you know the Father's love? Through Jesus Christ. Our doing things for Jesus must flow out of our being with Jesus. That's what God's up to. And core to that is we need to deeply know how loved we are by the Father. And so I want to invite Monica up here to come share a deep, intimate part of her story with us that really ties a lot of this together in the flesh. God says uh, in his word, uh, it's through the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, that we are overcomers. And so um, my hope is that God would give us wide hearts to listen to our sister and see what the father wants to do His spirit with us this morning, with her story, and then we'll have some time to responding to God and and uh, and worshiping Him in light of that. So, where would you like to sit? Would you want to sit right there, or do you want to use this table? Okay, you want to move the table? All right, just want to pull my back. Right here we go. I was actually trying to pretend it was really heavy. Now no one knows. I'm going to pray, and then um, let's get started. Father, um, we love you, and we thank you for your awesome word, and how you also um, are wanting to tell people about who you are and what you're like through the stories you're writing in us, and uh, I pray that you would fill our sister up right now, deeply, with your love, and... uh, Give her great freedom to share what you put on her heart and help our hearts be wide open to receive with eagerness what you'd have for us. Because, man, we want to be with you, Jesus. This is about you. Be lifted up. We love you, Lord. Amen.
1: Okay. No, no, no. I'm fine. It's all right. Hi. Hi. I'm I'm sitting on a stool because I'm trying to pretend like we're, like, in the living room or something. Instead of, like, I'm on a stage in front of you guys telling this story. But... Anyway, um, this is not a story I've told very often, for good reason, (laughs) Um, and yet uh, the healing that I've been through is so dramatic that I can't not tell, I have to tell, and I want you to hear it, because I want you to see what uh, the Father is really like and how Jesus um, helps us figure that out. And so... Um, I'm going to go, I'm just going to tell you about my background and what I've been through and um, what the Lord's done. So I uh, grew up in a family with four, there were four of us kids. And think of the Sheets family, it looked like that. <laughs> Everybody was two years apart, um, three, three girls and a boy. I was second born. Um, we were, you know, your basic middle class family. And I grew up in Renton. <laughs> Okay, so there's a setting for you. My mom immigrated from Germany, and so she met my dad before she fully spoke fluent English, and she was in college learning at Seattle U. And so that's where they met, is at Seattle U. So my mom is feisty, fiery, and all German. All German. Like, you know what I mean? She's not very warm and fuzzy, or she wasn't. She is now. She wasn't. Um, but she is a go-getter. She's br- she was bright. She's still alive. She is bright. And um, uh, very, very, very different than my dad, who is very quiet, completely not a people person, totally insecure, and an engineer. Okay, so kind of very, he loved numbers and kind of lived in the engineer box. So... Although he's artistic, so that was kind of an interesting thing that he gave up because he just didn't think that he could pursue, um, he couldn't take those kind of risks. Okay, so that, I wanted you to know a little bit about that dynamic because the way that it played out, um, there was tons of conflict in our home. Like, just fighting all the time. (laughs) And um, lots of raised voices, lots of drama with uh, not, not physical abuse, but just lots of uh, uh, words. And it was very intimidating as a little kid. So uh, when I was... Oh, this story revolves around a certain age, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about the, um, what had happened in our home and what it felt like to live there. <laughs> so um, my dad was incredibly strict. And non-communicative. I can see him even now with the newspaper open in front, you know, and us on the other side. And so when he didn't want to talk to us, he just sit in the chair, and up went the newspaper, you know. So we couldn't. There was. He used it and other things to keep away. Um, he was uh, completely disinterested. In our accomplishments, in our growth, our learning. I can remember I learned to sew and I pranced down in my first dress to show him, and he just didn't care at all. And not only that, but he was critical. So he would pick something out like, well, isn't that a little short? Or, you know, something that was hurtful um, versus saying, wow, you know, that's really great. You're learning to sew. Uh, I can remember doing the same thing with uh, learning to play the guitar. And coming down with my first song, and you know, wanting to share it, and my mom was pretty responsive for her German nature, but my dad was just disinterested. And um, so I learned: don't, don't be open, don't share your heart, don't, don't bring up things that are important, don't, don't, you know, just don't go there. So I probably tried, you know, enough times to receive a wound that was deep enough that I just shut that down. And um, I learned that, you know, there, there was only one way, and that was his way, and that we really were expected to be perfect in our home. The dishwasher was expected to be stacked perfectly, and there was only one way. The, you know, we'd come home, he'd come home from, no, he'd come home from work, and as soon as we heard the garage door open, we would all leap up off the couch, because we were watching soap operas or something, and act like we were doing chores, so that he would see that we were doing our work, you know. And he would walk across, I can remember him many times walking across the carpet when he first came in, and walking and just picking up like little um, chunks of fuzz or dust or something that he could see that we didn't get, as a way of saying, you didn't do it right. You didn't do it right again. You know, do this over um, he, he had a harshness about him, like, as you could tell. When I was in uh, high school, I can remember that uh, he gave me a stereo. He loved music. He gave me a stereo as a gift. Um, and when I, um, in my enthusiasm and, you know, just being a teenager, I p- played it too loud one day, and he just walked in and just silently cut the cord, cut the, you know, the, cord, the power cord. And then he just walked out. So no communication, no explanation, no could you please turn the music down. Just, you know, taking action that was that, like, swift. And um, there were never any apologies. There was no admission of wrong. There was no please forgive me. There was no I'm sorry. Um, There was no grace. So when, you know, when there was failure, there was no... there was just no. There was no way to reconcile any of it because that's what, it, that's that was. That's all he had. So that was. I'm just talking about his influence. So I'm not gonna kind of go into other things in our family. But um, the reason I'm talking about this is because in this beloved series, I've become aware of the barriers to feeling beloved, knowing that my story is a big part of that, but also knowing that I have. Uh, I have experienced a degree of healing that is profound, but there's more coming. And so I'm excited to get through all this stuff to tell you the good stuff, but I really want you to know what the backdrop looked like. So um, so the, the, the fruit, the bad fruit that was born in me through living in that kind of environment was that I, I just learned to hide, you know? If something wasn't perfect... <laughs> I pretended like it was, or I blamed somebody else, or, you know, I just, uh, I I just learned to hide things, and so, um, yeah, I learned to justify things so that it, you know, there was acceptance, and I wasn't, I was, just to protect myself from more rejection. Um. Yeah, it also, when another little bit of damage that I recognized was done is that the pressure to be perfect um, caused me to only try things that I knew I would be good at. So I never gave myself the freedom to try something I might not be really good at, because I couldn't bear the other side of that. And I was super sensitive, poor George, when we were first married, to being criticized for anything, because it, it, it all landed in the same dark hole. So... My dad was so critical that when, this, this was really hard in our marriage, but George has brought me a lot of healing. But if he did anything that resembled my dad, and he does resemble my dad in the good ways, not in the bad ways, but he's real clean and he's very organized, George is, and so is my dad. And so when George would do things that were reflective of, I mean, they just poked, they poked the wound, and I would just explode. And because I didn't have a voice when I was a kid, and I couldn't tell, I couldn't like... I couldn't say, um, I, I couldn't disagree. I couldn't speak my mind. I couldn't, you know, like I just didn't have a voice. And so as soon as I got married, boy, did I have a voice. And I let my husband have it for all of the things really that were rooted in my relationship with my dad. But it took me a long time to recognize it wasn't George. He would plead with me, I'm not your dad. Can't you see I'm not your dad? Well, I know you're not my dad, but you you acted like that, you know, you treated me that way, you, you said that, you, you hurt me, you know, and so in the context of our marriage, I was learning to develop a voice, but, you know, George had to absorb a lot of that, and um, yeah, anyway, the other thing is going, I know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, but going backward, when I was younger, as you can imagine, and I know this is the case for many, many girls, I work with high school, so I, I get this, but that longing for love, attention, affection that your dad should meet. And he should say, you're beautiful. I love that you made that. What a great voice you have. Write me more poetry. It was so cool the last time. All that stuff I didn't get from him, I found it in Guy's. It was easy. And I knew where to get it. I knew how to get it. And I was like, OK, this works for me. you know. And so, uh, I, so I suffered a lot of wounds. Uh, and I wounded a lot of people because uh, I was using that arena to get that need met. To feel beloved by somebody, somewhere, somehow. Yeah. And so um, there, there's a lot of carnage because of that in my background, But, um, but anyway, we'll move on so we can head toward the healing. So here's The thing is that I developed a view of God. So I grew up in a Catholic church. I forgot to tell you this. So though I was awakened to spirituality through Catholicism and that was good, the bad part was that I feared God even more because I had to go to confession. <laughs> and I, you know, all of these rules that I had to keep and everything was a have to, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to, you know, I have to please him this way, I have to say the right thing and do the right, you know, just, like, just endless emptiness between me and the father. I'm talking about, this is the relationship I'm kind of disclosing, is that I was wounded by my dad to the point where Father God was somebody to be afraid of, somebody I expected to be harsh, somebody that was critical, somebody that wasn't going to accept me for who I was, somebody I couldn't take risks in front of, somebody who was going to pick me apart. I mean, I can remember being at the dinner table. My dad would look over and go, you know, we're teenagers. We have zits sometimes, you know, and we actually had pretty clear skin for most teenagers. He'd go, what's that animal on your face? You know, I mean, he'd say stuff like that. We do chores, you know, uh, like most people, I, it's good to do chores, but, he, but his expectation was ridiculous, like I told you before. And we had green shag carpet, because it was the 70s, <laughs> or 60s, actually. I don't, know. I don't know, I was born in 1960, so you can figure it out, I'm pretty old. <laughs> but anyway, um, we had to rake it after we vacuumed it, and the pattern had to be just right. He trained us all how to rake the carpet. Just saying, you know, it's kind of extreme. So, um, so that left me with this chasm when it came to God as Father, and I just, I never ran to Him. I always ran away from Him. Now, I could talk to Jesus; that was not a problem. But the Father, uh-uh. yeah. So this, you know, five years ago, it's only five years ago this happened. But this is when it gets good. Um, I went through a redemption group. Um, and if you don't know what that is, just a, uh, small groups attending to the deepest wounds in your life and going, you know, applying the gospel to it and doing it vulnerably with one another. Okay? So I went, and there were two issues I couldn't get through, I couldn't get over in my life. And this was one of the top two this relationship with my dad. I was a slave to fear always afraid, afraid I'm going to get a phone call, afraid I'm going to get an email, afraid he's going to send me a letter, you know, and that it's going to hurt me over and over and over my whole life, just wound after wound after wound. And so I thought, I have got to get over this, like there's got to be more, like, and it's barring my relationship with Father God. So I went through Redemption Group, which kind of opened everything up, you know, and uh, recognized uh, that I needed more. And I didn't know how to get it. I couldn't fix it. I tried for 50 years. I just couldn't fix it. And so I I think, Bunny, I think it was Bunny who invited me to come over. And she said, I want to pray for you. And um, she asked me, so I'm going to describe a way that we prayed together that's kind of unique. But it was the gateway to a dramatic healing that I experienced. And it involved the Holy Spirit, and it involved Jesus, and it involved the Father. And so we sat down, and she said, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit for um, a memory with your dad that is representative of the pain that you suffer. Just let him bring something to mind. So as we prayed, instantly, I had a memory. And the memory, I'll tell you because we're going to walk through it together, but the memory was real. I mean, I was sitting, I was about seven. I was in our new house in Fairwood Greens in Renton, Washington. Um, I was sitting at the top of our split-level stairs, um, and uh, I could see down below. And that's where my parents were typically fighting, in the family room. I could see, I could hear. It happened over and over and over again. But in this one um, scene... I was sucking my thumb as I did up through age 10 because of, especially, I mean, at night, you know, just from the trauma. I got buck teeth because of it. I had to have braces, you know. But I was sitting at the top of the stairs sucking my thumb and, um, like, doing this swaying back and forth with my thumb in my mouth and listening to that fighting down there that I couldn't fix and feeling the anxiety and the pressure can't fix this here I am a little kid I'm like seven years old and I'm feeling the weight of I have to fix this but I can't so I'm sitting there listening you I don't know why I didn't just go hide in the closet in my bedroom so I didn't have to hear it but um she said "Where?" so bunny's praying and she said tell me where Jesus is in this scene and I said I don't know I don't see him and she said let's invite the Holy Spirit to show you where he was that you didn't know but let's, let's invite the Holy Spirit to show you that now. Instantly, I saw him sit, sitting next to me with his arm around me, saying nothing, but just swaying with me as I'm sucking my thumb and saying nothing. But it was a brotherly presence. It was like the big brother I never had. I have a little brother, and he's really cool now, but we had a lot of conflict too. I was thinking when, we came, when I came up here, man, I wish I was telling the story with my brother. And then because we've gone through a lot of healing together. And, but then I thought, what do I mean? I am telling this story with my brother. My brother, it's Jesus. And here's what he did. He was sitting with me, just his arm around me, very compassionate, not speaking, not crying, but just comforting. So then Bunny prayed, okay, so um, let's ask, where is the father in the scene? Holy Spirit, show Monica where the father is in the scene. I said, he is nowhere to be found. I don't, like, I don't see him anywhere. And she said, well, let's ask the Holy Spirit to, um, or let's ask Jesus to show you where the Father is in the scene. I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird, but let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. I, I was cooperative. I really wanted to, I wanted whatever healing the Lord had for me. And so, um, Here's an important part you know before I tell you this next part. <clears throat> so I'm sitting at the top of the stairs, and we're in a landing. My parents' room is at the end of the landing. And it had one. Of, my dad put one of those doors on it that automatically closes, um, which was just another signal of you're not welcome here. We were never welcome in his room unless we were cleaning it, raking the carpet. You know, it wasn't a place that we couldn't go. We didn't play in there. You know, like we weren't, the door was always closed. And uh, they had a big king size bed in there. Um, but I, I knew that we had to knock if we wanted to go in the room, or if we wanted our parents' attention and they were in there. We couldn't just walk in. And, you know, I don't, I'm just painting a whole picture. I'm not saying that that's so bad that your kids shouldn't have to knock on your bedroom door, but I'm just saying that um, there was a, there's a barrier. I, was, I knew I was not welcome. So, so in this prayer, um, When Bunny said, I want you to ask Jesus to show you where the Father is, we waited, and I saw him take my hand as a little girl and stand me up and walk me into that room, my parents' room. Like, he opened the door, and I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, don't go in there. (laughs) As a little girl, I'm thinking, you know, in this picture. Because those were the feelings I had in approaching that room. And when he opened the door, I saw a figure kneeling at the bed, a big figure, a male figure. And Bunny said, what do you see? And I said, there's a man kneeling at the bed, and he's praying. And she said, who is it? And so I waited, and I just, I just knew that I knew. I said, it's the Father. And she said, what's happening now? And so we waited and continued to invite the Holy Spirit to lead me through this. And... Um, Jesus walked me. How do I demo, demo this? Let's pretend this is a bed. Let's pretend I'm kneeling because I don't really want to. But So, I'm kneel, you know, when you kneel against a bed, you know, there's space between your body and the bed, right? Um, arms, I mean, hands folded or whatever. That's how this figure, this, fa- this father, fig- father God was. And so Jesus took me and walked me around him And as a little girl, he tucked me between the father and the bed so that my head was on his heart. And I could feel it. I could hear it beating. And I knew that he was interceding for my parents and that he was carrying the weight that I always felt I had to carry and that I never could. So I always felt like a failure because nothing was getting better with them. And this weight of their relationship was crushing me. You know, and, you know, so he tucked me in there, and in that place, something happened. I, I cannot explain it, but I received a degree of freedom that I have never known. And now, um, now when I interact with my dad, which I need to because he's in my care medically, he's an elderly man, he's very ill, he's living at Brookdale, independent living, I take him to every doctor's appointment. I go to every, uh, I I get all his meds. I do shopping for him, you know. And then I have a sister here in town who's also helping with that. But, like, how could I have ever done that? How could I have ever, like, actually loved him if I hadn't experienced this freedom? And so I, I don't know how it happened, but it happened in that picture. And it's over. Like, I can love my dad. I can be nice to him. I can say, Dad don't talk to me like that, because if you talk to me like that, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back today. But, you know, you need to change your tone. Like, I could never say anything like that to him in all of my, even my adult years. Remember? I'm in my 50s. Like, that's crazy. But um, it feels so good to be that free, and it was miraculous. And it's what, the way I want to conclude this story is tell you that Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us, and we will know our belovedness when we allow him to show us who the Father really is, not who we thought he was. So I knew he wasn't that way as God. It's not like I didn't know, but I couldn't get the, from my head to my heart that feeling, like I couldn't experience the freedom of being wrong. Of, may, of sinning in front of God you know like I just couldn't experience it until after all of this happened and that and it's something was cut off and it's over and it doesn't mean that I don't need more growth in that relationship but I don't struggle with any of the same things and I uh, yeah I, but I am in the middle of it with other family members where there's some stuff that's stuck but I have such a dramatic um, peace about what happened that I, I, I don't know, I'm free. And I just, I just wanted to tell you about that because I want you to know what the father's really like, not what you thought he was like, that he's accepting that he, he loved having me near. He liked the closeness. He carried the weight. I was tucked into a, a cocoon um, where I didn't have to be all grown up. Remember, I'm having this I'm seeing this as an adult woman. I'm not seeing myself in the picture as an adult woman. I'm seeing myself as a kid because that's where I got stuck, right? And so, so he's a good father. And I, okay, so you know we, the, you know the song "Good Good Father." We sing it a lot, and the song um, it means a lot to me because of the lyrics and because of this story that I just told you. Um, but particularly the bridge. Um, that says, oh, it's love so undeniably I can hardly speak. It's peace so unexplainable I can hardly think. That's what happened to me. As you call me deeper still. He gave me a picture one time when we were singing that song that he was pushing me deeper still into a dark place. The dark place was a hidden place where, like, I didn't have any exposure. I didn't have any, like, it was, it was dark. But where he was pushing me was deeper into himself, deeper still into his love, and um, I think that um, knowing one story of how um, God set this captive free, to to be, be believe you know to believe that I'm loved, is helpful for bringing music to life. Worship is connecting the dots. When you're when you're singing this, when you can relate it to something that's real, then it's true worship and you give it back. And that's what I was hoping that we would do next and